We talk about bootstrapping businesses. I flip-flop strapped, okay? I didn't even have boots. I wasn't even that savvy, didn't have any startup funds, no official legitimate mentor, no coach. I didn't have it at all. I learned through iterating and failing miserably. And so I want to make sure that other people can lessen the time from inception of their idea to success. And that's really what inspired me, trying to fill a gap, something that I didn't have that if I did, I would have gotten where I am today a lot quicker with probably less bumps. And in our communities, a lot of youth and young adults of color, they just don't have the resources and the connections. I'm Dr. Brandy and I'm a modern minority. Welcome to Modern Minorities. This is the show about work and life told through the lens of what makes each of us different. I'm Sharon Lee Tony, a Chinese American girl born and raised in New York City. And I'm Roman Segal, an Indian American boy who came from Alabama with a banjo on my knee. Through conversations with some really interesting people, we uncover the stories, perspectives, and often unspoken truths about how our guests uniquely experience the world. It doesn't matter where you're from, the color of your skin, or who you love. We're all minorities somehow, but we're no one's model minority. This is a show about all of you, for all of us. Today, we're talking to Dr. Brandy Baldwin, also known as just Dr. Brandy. She's founder and CEO of Millennial Ventures and also the Colorcast Network. She also does a ton of other things, various allies projects, other types of engagement with millennials and startup entrepreneurs. And we'll drop all of those links into the notes. I can't even keep up. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) And we started off being like, how do you do all of those things? Like, aren't you just exhausted? But she's super high energy, a woman with a mission and doing things that I I realized as she was talking that I wanted to be doing, you know, like there were moments when I was like, Hey, I I wish I was in your shoes. Yeah. Don't sell yourself short though. No, come on, Sharon. I have that same level of intimidation. And, and, And again, it's, I'm over the intimidation after we got to know her and she's just so awesome. But I have that same thing hanging out with you. I mean, we've known each other so long, but like, you keep checking these boxes. I'm like, oh yeah, I should, I should do some of that stuff Sharon's doing. <laughs> I'm just doing what you're doing. Like half the time you're like, Hey, I'm doing this. You want to do it with me? I'm like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'll Whatever. do it too. <laughs> Lies. Lies. The woman who has like five startups, like Dr. Brandy, had a kid in school. Like, no, come on. No, I'm not worthy. I'm not You've worthy. got like five podcasts. You have three, but you know, I'm a late, but I'm a late bloomer. So you, you did all that stuff before it was cool. Yeah, maybe. Dr. Brandy and I are trendsetters. Clearly. I think so. Clearly. Yeah. Just let me hang out with you guys. Uh-oh. All right. Well, well, you're allowed. And everyone else who is listening, you're allowed to hang out with Dr. Brandy too. So I think you're really going to enjoy our conversation with her. Dr. Brandy, thank you so much for joining us on the pod. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, you do a lot of stuff. You (laughs) you do so much stuff. I got exhausted reading about all the things that you've been doing. (laughs) I know. I tell people, I'm like, don't worry, guys. My mom does my bio. So (laughs) (laughs) will she do mine? (laughs) Will she do mine? (laughs) We'll see. She'll probably charge you, but I'm sure sure she can whip something up. I want to talk about all the things you're working on and more or less why you did it. But before we do that, I mean, I think a lot of folks want to understand a little bit more about who you were before that. Can you tell us a story from your childhood? Sure, sure. So talking about my bio, a lot of times when I'm at a speaking engagement and I first go on stage after they read my bio and I'm usually backstage cringing, listening to all of the accolades and stuff. But I, I usually like to start with letting people know sort of who was just Brandy, right, before Dr. Brandy. And I tell people when I was growing up, my nickname was a fiber. I was just Brand growing up. Brand, that's how people knew me. And quite frankly, when I was growing up, people don't necessarily know that I grew up in a single parent household. I grew up in the humble, humble, which is code for poor, broke for a lot of my childhood. But my mother, who was a registered nurse, she worked overnight, the overnight shift. She worked during the day shift. And so I rarely saw her for a couple of those elementary school years. She would make sure to have notes written around the house so that when I came home, I was the proverbial latchkey kid. When I came home from school, no one was there. But I would do my homework, check my own homework, warm up my dinner and clean up and and do a lot. I had a lot of responsibilities as a young child. But what she taught me and told me was that education was going to be that thing, right? Education is the great equalizer. Make sure that 
you focus on getting good grades and keep school is very should be serious for you, very important for you, because that's going to be that thing. That's going to be that thing that's going to help you live in a better lifestyle than we had at that time. And I really took that to heart and became this sort of overachiever as a young child and was on the track team and president of the student body and orchestra, playing violin, everything I could do in my public school. I did that. But what I realized was as I sort of got older and started college and became an adult was that education really was not the great equalizer. That wasn't the thing that was going to help me have a better lifestyle. And so I did years and years of this formal education and got a PhD before the age of 30, still feeling empty, still feeling broken, still feeling like I wasn't good enough for some reason. Long story short, what I sort of realized after going on a journey, personal journey with myself was that leadership is the great equalizer, not education, that there are so many people who are very smart. They haven't taken that knowledge and use it to really lead their lives in a direction that they want it to be. And so, yeah, so when people sort of like, who, who was Dr. Brandy? challenging childhood at times, always had love from my mom the best way that she could. And very tough, very tough on me. But she taught me a lot through not only the things that the lessons that she instilled in me, but even through some of those mistakes. And I'm grateful for it. Well, there's so much in there I want to unpack. One, I watched this interview of you on PBS. One, you mentioned Nick at Night, which is respect. I grew up on Nick at Night as well. Yes. Okay. (laughs) The idea of leadership is a great equalizer. I want to probe on that a little bit because not everyone's a leader. Not everyone's as extroverted or forced extroverted, right, as others are. And how is that an equalizer then if some people don't want to lead? Absolutely. So I really believe leadership is about your character and not a title, right? And then so many people who become formal leaders with that title were leaders before that. And so we wait a lot of times for that title, for that designation before we're ready to like step into leadership. And quite frankly, there's so many people who are leaders already or really need to sort of unlock and unleash that leadership side of themselves in order to get to where they're actually trying to go. And so when I think about leadership, I don't really think of it as in sort of introversion, extroversion in front of the group versus maybe behind the group. It's really about service. It's about being in service of other people's best interests, which is slightly different from just service, right? Serving others because that gets old very quickly after a while, but it's being in service of others' best interests, which means I may not agree with you, but trust me that I'm thinking about your best interests. I may not think the same as you do. We may not be on the same page at the same time, but I'm willing to sort of do that kind of work. And I think everyone can sort of harness that and develop their leadership. Also, I think some people are, when you think about, are you born with it or can you become a leader? You know, I really believe that you can become and evolve, become a leader and evolve your leadership. And it can look so different. And some people are a little bit more subtle in their leadership and they're sort of have this humble strength and others are a little more in your face. But at the end of the day, when no one's looking, what are they doing? How are they showing up? And that's what I learned that when people were looking, I was showing up a certain way. When when I was in front, I was presenting myself as something. But really, when no one was looking in behind the scenes, my internal life was not in alignment with my external. And so I had to sort of catch up with the accolades, catch up with the formal education and all the things I had on the outside and was still a little bit of a shell on the inside. So I, I really want to challenge people who are listening to this episode to really think about how you can get back into alignment and be your authentic self. That's leadership in and of itself. And I love it. Great journey. And I think anyone can jump in and jump in. Followers are overrated at this point. Social media, yeah, followers, followers are cool, but in real yeah. life, not so much. So let's take this back to when you were a little girl. And I mean, you're, you're clearly very accomplished now, very self, self-aware and enlightened. Were there moments in your youth or your childhood where you felt like either you had to do things to fit in or just kind of ever felt like there were moments where you felt different from other people? Yes. As early as I can remember, I was that person. And I know some people are going to just resonate with this, but I'm, I'm a part of a tribe of people, right? I, I, that I believe are out there that never fit in. I stuck out just in how I was and how I moved. I was 
different and quirky and nerdy in some respects and outgoing and just weird. I was just myself. And I think that- Why would someone say you were weird if I ran into you at school when we were six or seven? Okay. You know why? Because we would be six and seven and I would be acting like I was 10 and 11. <laughs> I was like, what generation was I? I'm like an undercover baby boomer or something. I don't know what's going on, but I was so mature for my age, like an old soul. I was that little kid that was like, hey, little girl. Oh, what's your name? I'm like, Brandy. You know, they're like, whoa, her yeah. voice is already has some bass in it. And I just wasn't interested in just, I mean, I loved, I loved my, my shows and I loved my kid stuff, but I was so, my mind was thinking about so many things. Like my mom many times would have to tell me like, girl, if you don't get out of my face, I'm like, but after we die and then what, you know, I was asking her all these <laughs> questions. You got all existential and shit. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. Too existential in third grade. So yeah, that's really, and here's the thing though, what I realized is what I really was though, was not conforming. It was very hard to put Brandy in any type of box. I'm just going to show up. I, I didn't know. I wasn't trained up enough to know that like, oh, am I supposed to be like conforming right now? I just didn't get the memo, I guess. And so what I was doing, and I'm so grateful for that without really even knowing it was just allowing myself space to be me. And quite frankly, the older that I got, the more I learned that maybe it's not okay to be like that. And so elementary school and middle school, and but the older I got, high school and even in college, I slowly sort of regressed back into this little box of how I should be showing up. But yeah, little Brandy was wild to us. Great though. Awesome. Well, you said this one thing about once you started conforming, getting older, right? Checking the boxes and how it leads to this term. I love this term, perfection. Yes. It's this idea of, I've talked to friends because I kind of got over it in my 20s. I was like, F it. I am who I am. But it's when you're judging yourself through the lens of other people versus judging yourself against yourself. Because I do think judgment's a good thing. I just think it's a dangerous thing if you incorrectly. And that's, I feel like that's what perfection is. Laddering up to someone else's ideal, the world's ideal versus your own. Absolutely. And I, I wish I can legitimately get this into the DSM for like a psychiatric evaluation. <laughs> like this can be like legit, but I just made that term up, that perfection. And I think women even do this a lot more than men in my experience. But like you said, we're looking like something on the outside, but we're really faking it. And once I said to myself, show up exactly how you are. You're a little bit country, you're a little bit rock and roll and everything in between. And that's okay. I want to be able to attract people who really authentically see value in who I am. It was like that quote, well, you don't want to be tolerated, you want to be celebrated. But the irony of in being in that perfection space is that you realize that people around you, they actually don't like you for you. They like you for who you're pretending to be. And so then when you start to become yourself, you realize, oh, I don't even like these people and they really don't like the real me. And so that transition period, if you can kind of get over that and get through that, it's amazing to, to have a network and a group and just people who like, yo, you represent who you are, flaws and all. And it, it was a great game changer for me. So same thing in my 20s, had to kind of let that go. So but, so when you were seven and weird, though, what do you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be a teacher, not because I really liked teaching, but because I was a talker as you guys can tell, right? I love talking. I was the only child. So I grew up in the house by myself for hours on end, fake teaching my stuffed animals. Like that was me. And so and the other reason why I wanted to be a teacher is because I just like being in front of the group. I wanted to be on stage essentially. And it's funny when I think about what I do now and the opportunities I have to speak 40 plus times a year around the country. And I'm like, oh, that literally, that was me. That I was practicing. I did 10,000 hours before eighth grade on just the speaking on the stage thing. But yep, I wanted to be a teacher. 10,000 hours before eighth grade. Telling you, it's hard knock life out here for the single. When you're an only child, you have a lot of time on your hands. So it's so funny. I used to have board meetings with my stuffed animals. So I can. I I'm such you. an underachiever compared to yeah. you. Sorry, Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader just fought. That's all they did. Right. No, sharing it. We were preparing, okay? We were. It was a success. I, I was like, I got to practice. I know I'm going to be leading a bunch of meetings in my future my future self, my future life. And I had my three Cabbage Patch dolls and my Care Bears. And my dad would come in and be like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm having a meeting. He was like, oh, excuse me. <laughs> okay, especially when the Cabbage Patch dolls are involved. Now, it's Hell serious yeah. when you got the Cabbage yeah. Patch up in there. Yeah, we had to get budgets approved, all sorts of things. Okay. Make big I love decisions. It. <laughs> That's great. 
So you're doing a big part of this podcast is talking about all the stuff that most people don't do at work, but I just feel like you're doing so many things in the world. And I was looking at the Millennium Venture Fund, but specifically the millionaire. It's called oh, mandatory, mandatory, millionaires. mandatory Millionaires. Tell me about that and oh how gosh, that came so about. I love this. So literally, I was sitting in a team meeting one week and we were essentially transitioning, right? The earlier this year in 2020, we went from the world is normal to like immediately with COVID-19 hitting. And so in that time, we were thinking, how can we continue to support entrepreneurs, aspiring entrepreneurs? Typically, Millennial Ventures is donating two to 300 hours of just small business development, entrepreneurial coaching, advising, events. We do a lot. And this year we knew early on that, okay, first of all, there's no way we just, things shifted so harshly. So that was sort of our answer to that, to say, as we go into sort of this new era, this new decade, how can we continue to do this work, but attempt to scale. And so the Mandatory Millionaires program is really for aspiring entrepreneurs. We're focusing in on students, especially the college age. We'll let some, you know, high achieving high schoolers come in there as well. But we want to plant those seeds of entrepreneurship primarily to help individuals learn how to generate wealth, right? Like talk about a money tree. When I was growing up, money doesn't go on trees. Well, there are ways you can literally generate money, income, revenue for yourself because we're going into a decade where when you're talking about people who are going to be employed full time in permanent positions, as we get to 2030, McKinsey did a report saying, hey, 375 plus million Americans, people, I'm sorry, in the world are going to be out of work due to automation and other sort of global forces. And so we want to make sure that individuals, especially our young people, our Gen Zers, that they can, if they need to support themselves or support their parents or whatever, generate wealth for themselves. So that's the program. We're actually going to be partnering. It's not official, so I probably shouldn't be saying this, but this is my friend, Jedi, but he has an amazing company and he's launching an app called Startup Wars. And we're going to be collaborating with the Startup Wars app with our program, which is going to be giving live business coaching and entrepreneurship coaching to all of our mandatory millionaire attendees and cohort members. And that's it. We're taking it through the roof. So we're hoping that every year we'll touch thousands and thousands of folks who can come through this program. I love that. And so what inspired you to give these young people this opportunity? What moment in your life did you decide that you wanted to reach out in this way? Honestly, it's the thing that I wish I had, right? I tell people, we talk about bootstrapping businesses. I'm like, I flip-flop strapped, okay? I didn't even have boots. I wasn't even that savvy, didn't have any startup funds or costs. I've been an entrepreneur for 10 years. That's the last time that I've sort of had a full-time job. And I had no, to this day, no official legitimate mentor, no coach, no advice. I didn't have it at all. I literally learned through iterating and failing miserably. And so I want to make sure that other people can lessen the time that it takes them from inception of their idea concepts to success. And that's really what inspired me. Again, trying to fill a gap, something that I didn't have that I that if I did, I would have gotten where I am today a lot quicker with probably less bumps. And in our communities, you know, a lot of people of color and young youth and young adults of color, they just don't have the resources and the connections, right? My family was very entrepreneurial and kind of a hood kind of way, you know what I'm saying? Very entrepreneurial, but not formally trained at all. And so, yeah, so I I love that. That's what inspired me. Tell me more about that. What types of things that they do in that hood kind of way, like you said? Yeah. So you got my grandfather. He is still alive to this day, lives on a 40 acre farm down south, didn't even graduate from high school at all. I think he passed seventh or eighth grade. He is 75 now. And he literally moved from South Carolina, the middle of nowhere, South Carolina, to the big cities of New York and was cleaning and refinishing bathtubs in Manhattan for rich elite people and got enough money through that process to start his own business. So he's with a company. He started his own business, refinishing bathtubs in Manhattan, the hotels. I mean, all of the plush places, right? In New York, New York, and used that to buy property in Brooklyn. He literally owned an an entire block in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, Grand Avenue, 294 Grand Avenue with a bodega on one end, the shops on the bottom. And he literally was a contractor 
as well and, and built up the building up top and right around the corner from, I think, Pratt is there and right in New York. And so real estate, when you think of that. Yeah. So when we look at him having not a lot of foundation at all, but just tenacity, just grit, my mother had side hustles galore growing up in the, in the 90s. Her sisters had a copy shop before sort of FedEx Kinko's came about. And this is in the 90s. You know, so, uh, my grandmother, who has since passed, my grandfather's wife, who has since passed, she had a t-shirt business. She was a seamstress. I mean, there's so much that was around me that was entrepreneurial, even though I didn't know what it was. Yeah. So that really inspired me. That's so yeah, I feel like that term, the term is a new one. But the practice has always been around. It's small businesses and kind of art of the hustle, if you will. Yeah. And the thing is, what people don't understand is communities, especially all communities, right? And especially communities of color have been entrepreneurial. Totally. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Like this is nothing new. Like there were communities where in your community, in your neighborhood, all of the businesses that you went to were owned by other families in your neighborhood. The bodega that you talk about, right? Whoever owns that bodega, he or she is an entrepreneur. That's That's their business. That's right. Yeah, it was great. It was good. Looking back on it, man, I see it totally differently now. I didn't know what it was. It just was normal. But taking a step back, I'm like, man, that was dope. And this is the 80s. And it was far before that. The 80s, that wasn't anything new. Our communities have been that way for for decades. So, Have you always been in Philadelphia growing up? And I know you're there now, but- No, no. I'm from the DC area. I'm from the DMV area. Yeah, my mom grew up in New York and my grandfather moved up there, had his kids up there. My mom had me as a teenage mother. Her first marriage, telling all your business mom, just so you know, her (laughs) first marriage was to a gentleman who was in the military. He was stationed in the DC area. So from maybe three years old up, I lived in and grew up in the DC area, loved it. They call it Chocolate City. So a lot lot of diversity in DC for sure. Chocolate City. I've never heard that term actually. Oh, you haven't? And here's the thing. So yeah, DC is dubbed Chocolate City. I've lived in Northern Virginia, which is Alexandria, Virginia, right? And also on the Maryland side. So it's like a little metropolitan area where everything's like right there. And on the Maryland side, I grew up for high school, I lived in Prince George's County, which was the richest county for African-Americans in the United States per household in terms of household income. And it was a predominantly African-American county, not town, not city. We're talking about the entire county. And so, yeah, I mean, just a great experience. The D.C. area is very diverse just in general. And so that really colored and shaped who I was and how I grew up. I, I loved it. And then you ended up going to Temple. Right. That's what got me to Philly. I went to Temple. I got a $50,000 scholarship to Loyola. I applied to all these fancy schmancy schools. And I went to the open house at Temple. And and it's huge. It's Temple is, people don't understand, Temple University is like 40,000 students. You know what I'm saying? 20,000 on campus and commuting. And I loved every bit of it. And it was diverse. It was called Diversity University back then. That's what we kind of dubbed it. And I was like, I'll go here. And my mom was like, girl, what? It was literally like tumbleweed of trash blowing on the streets of North Philly (laughs) during the trip. And my mom was like, girl, are you sure? And I was like, I love it. I love it. And literally that was 18 years ago, 18 years. So I grew up in Philly, you know, 50% of my life. I moved to Philly, pushing 18 years. I think I might've been 17 officially, but turned 18 and I've been in Philly for 18 years and literally have grown up there. And it's it's been amazing. It's so great. And we sort of have a common thread. So I was in Philly every other weekend for a little while. I actually got my MBA at Wharton. And I Ooh, look it. at you, girl. Well, I saw that you teach there now. So. Well, look now, look now. See, this is what people have to understand. Yeah. I, I did not get in. I actually have a rejection letter. I'm going to post it online one day on LinkedIn or something. I have a rejection letter from Penn getting into their master's program. I think it was a positive psychology program or something. And I have their rejection letter. And years later, I taught at Wharton now. So, but I wasn't smart enough to get in like you. If you got into Wharton, that's a whole nother level of smarts. I just right. passed the, the teaching portion. Well, here's my embarrassing story. So I teach digital marketing for General Assembly. And when Wharton first came out with their online digital marketing courses, I reached out and I was like, hey, I used to go there. Can I teach for you guys? And you know what they said? They said, no, we only hire real teachers. (laughs) No. 
Shame on them. We need to start a petition, a two-person petition. Me and you, we're going to start this because we've both now gotten rejected at some point. Exactly. But so you, you've got the job I want. <laughs> Man, let me tell you, I have taught at a variety of different colleges and universities. And hands down, when you talk about allegedly they are the number one business school in the world, they have such an amazing, thoughtful process that they're very thoughtful with the students. One of the best teaching experiences that I've had just logistically, they're tight. They're running a tight ship over there and exposing their students to a lot. So, yeah, I, I mean, that was yeah first day of class showing up to be a professor at Wharton. That right there, whew, it was like a meta meta experience for me. Just so blessed. I had a great time. So great. We have another parallel track. I used to work at the Girl Scouts. In what? Yep. Look at and, you. Well, same thing, right? So you, <laughs> here you are. You're like, oh, I'm so, no, actually, but you won some incredible award. You won the Take the Lead Award from yes. the Girl Scouts. Yes. And let me tell y'all something. Quiet as it's kept. Now, I wouldn't have passed a girl. I wouldn't even got in. And it's and you don't even have to go through any type of process to get into the Girl Scouts. You know what I love? You come in the back door. You come in. You. Yeah, exactly. You go go get the thing after. (laughs) That must be my strategy because I promise it's working to my advantage right now because I'm not fit. I'm not cut out for any of it, but I can do the take the lead award. It was amazing. And they actually set me up to be a mentor for one of their Girl Scouts. And I had the best time ever. She got to shadow me for a day and come to my office. And we had like a business lunch and and I gave her like tasks to do for the day. And it was so fun. And what I did not know, and I want to just share this with folks, just from an entrepreneurial standpoint, a business standpoint, people don't know the Girl Scouts are a billion dollar organization. Yeah. They don't know, like they're legit. And I'm like, y'all need to do some better branding or something like that because People need to put some respect on the Girl Scout. This isn't after school and camp. This is business. And they have disrupted that space. And the Boy Scouts, unfortunately, is, didn't have that best, the same amount of luck. But talk about women in leadership and business success. It's amazing. And they are making so much money in like a 12-week window of selling cookies. I'm like, I'm working too hard over here because it's insane. They are. Yeah, they have, they're like an army, man. Yeah. I think when I was working there, this may still be the same, but when I was working there, Girl Scout cookies was number two to Oreo in the US in terms of sales. And to your point, most Girl Scout councils only sell it for three months at most, right? So to be able to generate- yeah. Well, that's, I guess that's true. You're right. You're such a marketer. You're such a marketer. He sure take, that is, back. take that back. Take that back. No. We need to do the Modern Minorities cookie um, drive. Hold on, y'all. I think we're, are we talking up something right now? Yeah. <laughs> we need to create demand right now. <laughs> but so so I want to ask another question though. So the way we discovered you was this world of podcasting, right? You have a podcast. You have this podcast network that you're building from everything that you've been doing, how do you go? I kind of know what the thread is, but I don't understand the like A to B to C. What was the moment where you're like, you know what? Podcast, we're doing this. And the way you do it with Colorcast. Yes. Not just the what, why. What was your awakening to, to this medium? Okay. Oh, such a good question. So with the Colorcast Podcast Network, that's like my baby. That's my new baby, the youngest baby. And we're like going to just do amazing work with this. We want to elevate the voices of diverse podcasters. But how did I get there? Again, I'm always trying to sort of solve these problems that I personally have encountered. And part of it is access to information. Anything I'm doing that's affiliated with the Millennial Ventures brand or Dr. Brandy is has to do with access because I think that people put so much emphasis on your connections, but it's like, yes, you, you can talk, you can tell people how to get someplace, but if they don't have access to the solutions that you're providing, then all of the strategy is irrelevant, right? And so I thought, okay, access to information, equitable media. I looked at the media landscape right now. I looked at the news. I looked at just the big boy, the big player companies out here. And I thought, dang, I wish I was alive back when CNN launched. I wish I was a stakeholder in Fox or MTV or any media company. And I thought, number one, what's the lowest barrier to entry right now in quote unquote media? Number one, it's podcasting, right? You can podcast from your phone if you wanted to. And then number two, to what end, right? Why do we want to podcast? To get 
information to be entertained. But I thought that, hey, why am I struggling to find podcasters in, in business, in, in marketing, in any, any type of background that are diverse? Why do I have to sift through Netflix when you like, oh, I want to watch Netflix and three hours later, you're still scrolling through? That was my experience with trying to find diverse podcasts, podcasters. And so I thought, how about we create sort of this ecosystem? We curate this content and this information from the dopest diverse voices, right? And then the second tier of that is monetizing it. When you have people like Joe Rogan who get like a hundred million plus dollar deals from Spotify for talking on a microphone, that tells me there's there's a business of podcasting here. And a lot of podcasters of color are not able to get past a year, two years, or to the point where they can get sponsorship. So we're saying at Colorcast Podcast Network, come bring the dope content to us. We will do the marketing. We will make the connection for the sponsors. We will do that work. Just come and be great. And part of it is access to information. Right now we have international shows literally from Taiwan. We have African Americans living in Taiwan. Okay. We have Asian Americans that are living abroad in South America. And we have a variety of diverse Americans. But we want to be that network. And the end game is to grow into other media, media mediums, but podcasting, it hasn't been tapped. No one's really zoned in on the diverse voices. And we think we can do this and do it well. And the more that we do that, our audiences can get the information that they need as well. So yeah, it's it's an equitable media play and it's just about access and helping people kind of get in there. And if they have great content and great brands, hey, monetize it. They should be getting paid for that. So we're excited. If there was one show of color cast that you want to tell someone to listen to, to get a feel for what it's about, which one would you tell them? What's your favorite baby of the baby? Okay. Yes. So we're in a pre-launch phase, but we have rigorously vetted hundreds and hundreds of podcasts. And when I tell you one of my favorites is a podcast called Rock the Boat. It's a podcast from an Asian American podcaster. Her name is Lucia. And oh, we know her. Her name is Lucia. She's a friend of the pod. She's been on the show. We've been on hers. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Let me tell you, that's my girl. She done had Andrew Yang on her podcast. She is pulling in heavy hitters. Oh, yeah. And it's such a clear voice. And I mean, it's just amazing. Polished. She is a class act. And she came through and we were just like, hold up. She's been our whole lives, but I would definitely tell people, and I think her website is gorocktheboat.com, but you man, support her. She will be one of our top debut shows on the network. And, and we have a few others in there, but if I had to pick one, yeah, look out for her because she, she's going to be big for sure. Yeah, she's doing some great work. And she's become a friend. Outside of us both being on each other's shows, we've started comparing notes with her. And because figuring out the space, it's almost like the Mary Meeker slide. There's so much audience and it's an increasing long tail because the barriers to entry are so low. But the investment in the space, look, you take out the outliers of Joe Rogan and the crooked media right, guy. Right. But I don't know on so many angles of people know what to do with the space right now. And I think the biggest challenge creators are facing is, in fact, Lucia and I we were literally just talking about this yesterday. We just want to do the work. And that's what I love about what you're building is you go do the work. We'll figure out all that other stuff that we know. Sharon and I know how to do marketing. We know how to do sales, but we have day jobs and night jobs too, because we're parents. So it's, we can spend a couple of hours getting ready and figuring out the right conversation pre and post production with Dr. Brandy. But then we got to figure out all the marketing too. And all the other 20 other things that are fun but you really want to create the content. Yeah. And the thing is, everyone doesn't have that entrepreneurial bone, right? In their body. And the business of podcasting, the business of media is like you said, it's one side of it. And then just amazing content and creating that content is another side. So we we want to just take that off of people's plates and just say like, hey, be great. How can we accelerate this? And what we really, we're in our heads, right? This is like in living color. We wanted Living Color in the 90s. Jim Carrey came from that. Jamie Foxx was discovered from that. Tommy Davidson was discovered. That's J-Lo was on. Like, there's so many stars. So we're like, yo, Colorcast Network, we want to be that. That entity that like, wow, Lucia came from, you remember her? And really be sort of a platform to get people to really explode. So we're excited. That's great. So I, I got to ask in the podcasting space, outside of Colorcast, what's your favorite podcast to listen to? Okay, so I love this podcast by a motivational speaker called Eric 
Thomas, E.T. He has a podcast called The Secrets of Success. And he, I love him. They call him the hip hop preacher. He is so dope. He's like the person that screams at you and it just feels so good afterwards. Get it together. You need to be doing more. Get your hustle up. That's his vibe. And people like hate him for that. But I love it. And his podcast too is free form. Free form him and three of his business partners. And they are talking for like 90 minutes to two hours with no structure at all. But it works. It just works. It's like you're a voyeur. You're just like listening in and like, did they know that they, they were, they're not on mute? It's that feeling. But man, it has revolutionized my business. So shout out to ET, Eric Thomas, amazing podcast. And I think they're like on 200 and something plus episodes now. I have a, another, I have a personal question, I guess. I believe you have kids, right? <laughs> Yes, I believe I do too. Where are my kids? You just had to just take me out of this. I was just in bliss talking to you guys. And then you reminded me. No, just joking. Yes, I'm a mother. I'm a mother of two. How old are they? So I have an 11-year-old and a six-year-old. So I have a middle schooler and a first grader, first grader and sixth grader. Wow. And are they boys, girls? One boy, one girl? Yeah. So my oldest is a girl and my little baby boy is my first grader. And it's great. My daughter was five when I had the little one. So she was such a great helper and everything. And it's funny when I have my daughter, I literally, this, this is a special modern minority exclusive here. I started my PhD program seven months pregnant. And I walked into class like in September in my first year PhD program. And everyone's looking at me like, is this a work release program? Like, is she from the halfway house? Like they were just trying to figure out like, who is this child, this pregnant young person in here? And why is she in class? And literally I gave birth to my daughter. She was due Christmas Day. I gave birth New Year's Eve. I was out for about three weeks, came right back, I think January 14th or 15th. And I was right back in class, dropped a decent amount of that weight. And they were looking at me like, is that the girl from um, last fall? Like, <laughs> you had the baby and came back. And I literally would be on my laptop, which was huge back then. You know, this is over 10 years ago now with my huge laptop. And I would literally have the bottle propped up in my daughter's mouth in the bed literally working on my doctoral studies from day one. So that that's my baby girl because she's been with me through those early, early business years, early PhD years. And then I actually was pregnant with my son the year when I graduated. So I graduated in May. He came in May a couple years ago and six, seven years ago now. Yep. So it's been it's been a journey, but I have two little ones and they don't care about Dr. Brandy anything, okay? They like make me my food, yeah. and buy me my toys, yeah, keep me humble for sure. What do you think they would say about what they've learned from you? Wow, that's a great question. So today, if you were to ask them today, I really think that if they could articulate it in a more mature way, I think the essence of what they would be saying is number one, that mommy's a goofball. I have such a sense of humor about myself, about life. I try to laugh everything off. Literally, I have a home filled with laughter. My daughter fell down the steps the other day. Not all of them, but like she got to that last six steps from the bottom and like tumbled the cereal bowl, dropped milk. It was just one of those moments where I was like, I think she just fell down the steps. So we were like, we're like quiet. And I'm like, you okay? And like she yeah. busts out yeah. laughing. <laughs> and it's just like, that's us. We're alive. So my household, unless it's detrimental, man, we were laughing at everything. And so that's one thing I think they'll say. The second thing is, look, I don't play no games, okay? We're up in here efficient. I am the quality assurance parent up in here, okay? I'm, I'm double checking, cross checking <laughs> everything. Make sure them vacuum lines. Are, are, you, are you good cop or bad cop? I am... Yeah. You know what? I'm not such a good cop or bad cop. I'm more so the parole officer. You see what I'm saying? I'm going to give you some boundaries. Now, as long as you show up on time every week to this appointment and this documentation is filled out, you good. Now, if I if I catch you off of the schedule and the parameters, you know what I'm saying? If the ankle bracelet goes off, then you're going to, you know what I'm saying? It's going to be some problems, consequences and repercussions. But other stuff, yeah, less of good cop, cop, bad cop. I'm like, look, I'm going to set the expectations. As long as you stay there, we're good. And then even then, just like a parole officer, right? You're going to get a warning. You know, I'm not going to lock you up. The cops, they're going to lock you up. But I'm just taking this metaphor a little way too far. But I literally, I, I give them some boundaries to keep them on the straight and narrow. So I think they'll say that. Definitely goofy. They're going to say mommy plays too much. That's going to be the first thing out of their mouth. But after that, I think they'll probably acknowledge that I'm 
the level of excellence that I expect is present. That's so great. Such high expectations, mom. Mom, that's pressure. But you know what, Sharon? I'm so glad you said that because what I'm trying to do is have the level of excellence and expectations there minus some of what I had growing up, right? Because my mom had ridiculous expectations for me, but in some ways I could not, or I felt that I couldn't be myself. So I, right. So I had to like show up almost as a different person in order to meet those expectations. So for my kids, I'm really trying to be cognizant of the expectations. They're going to be high. Now they high, but leaving space for them to be them in that it's a balancing act. And I have to, I can't put this sort of concept on autopilot, right? I have to be always cognizant and aware because sometimes I have to pull back. But we do have sort of a policy here in my house where the kids can call me out. They do that. And it helps to kind of check me at times. And sometimes I'm just taking it overboard. I'm like, guys, I specifically said, oh, my six-year-old was like, I specifically said, mom, you do. You know, I'm just like, you know what? We start laughing. <laughs> Because he's dead. He's true, right? Yeah. I, he's dead wrong, but he's telling the truth where he like snaps back at me and it just recalibrates us. And I'm like, okay, okay, mommy was getting a little too crazy. But yeah, the pressure though, I do not pressure my kids in the, for their grades because I've taken all the education that a human could possibly take and half of it has been irrelevant. I haven't used it. So that's one area that may surprise folks that I'm pretty lenient of like, just get it done. Like it's ancient Mesopotamia. Girl, you'll never need to know that fact ever again, you know? <laughs> <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Cumulus clouds. Okay. You know, feel free to like delete that from your mental hard drive as soon as the test is over because you'll never, you know, so we have that constant conversation here, but definitely a balance. But hey, I got some Jamaican blood in me. So we're, we, we don't play. We're hard driving in, in general. And so we expect the best. That's great. So I think we've covered pretty much every topic. <laughs> You guys are so good. You're so good. You're like stealth mode, which you're like, hey, I have another question. You know, and I'm like, how did they do that? Y'all are so good. I guess, I don't know, Sharon, you think Dr. Brandy's ready for speed round? I think she's ready. I don't know. Uh-oh. What do you think, Dr. Brandy? I'm nervous. But if you if you two say I'm ready, I'm down. I'll, we'll, we'll do it. <laughs> so what would be something about you... And I think this is actually a really hard question because you let it all out. Like, like, what's something about you that people wouldn't expect about Dr. Brandy? Hmm. You know what? I'm a loner. I'm a loner. I really am. I could spend six months by myself and not even, you know, I'm not an introvert, but I'm a loner. I really love and need to spend time with my thoughts, with myself, maybe because I have such a front facing kind of role in business and speaking and whatever. But man, just to be in a quiet house with my own thoughts, you know, I love it. It's my favorite pastime. So I think people probably wouldn't realize that I'm a little bit of a, and maybe because I was the only child or something, but I, I do not need to be around people at all to, you know, I love it when I am, but I'm a, I'm a certified loner for sure. Yeah. You don't, I would not have thought that. That's a really good one. That's a great answer. <laughs> right. Yeah. Certified loner. Mm-hmm. What is a book, movie, or show with characters that you can relate to that you would recommend? Wow, that's a good one. Okay, so that I can also relate to. Man, that's so hard. That's so hard. Okay, so I would honestly have to say like low key, the Bible, you know, which is a cheat one because there's like 57 million characters in the Bible. It's it's a low key book. Yeah, not a lot of people read it. Yeah, it's a book of books. You know what I'm saying? So I really would say the Bible, like there's so much people think they love shows like Scandal and like Power and like, West Wing and like all these shows, but it's like, yo, there's some scandals. There's cheating, lies, murder in the Bible. Now I can't directly relate to that, you know, to that part of your question, but man, I have literally like fallen asleep when I was like younger. Like it felt like I had to like read the Bible as an assignment, but as I get older and I am a Christian, I am a woman of faith and like, but I be reading it now, like 
girl, no, she did it. No, Delilah, no, you didn't. You slept with, you know, it's like <laughs> a whole nother level. It's a whole nother level right now. That quarantine, when you read the Bible in quarantine with a global lockdown, I mean, the, the characters start just, my God, the adultery, you know, I love it. I, I just really think, and, and to sort of put a tie a bow on it, why I love it is like, it's the ultimate story of redemption. You know, people can think what they want and they may not be well-versed in like really what the Bible's about, but it's like, yo, you can be horrific. You can be like a murderer and like still be redeemed, you know? So I, I kind of love that. That's a cheat one a little bit, but I'll, I'll use that as my answer. The way you justified it sold me. And I'm yeah, not a Christian, like, but I have this book, The Brick Testament, and it's the mm-hmm. entire Old Testament and New Testament stories of the Bible with pictures of Legos. And I thought it was a kid's book and I gave it to some kid's friends and or some friends' kids, I should say. And they were like, my kid shouldn't be reading this. <laughs> There's some really like in doses because yeah, it's some heavy stuff that happens i've heard yes yes people will be surprised but like telling you some of some of those and a little steamy we got some steamy stuff going on there too i mean we'll talk about it on the after show but yeah bible got some good good content in there so shifting gears what's your favorite mom dish oh let me see mom dish we're talking about food right here right oh yeah. yeah wow this is good that i cook or that my mom did you know what's funny so we've been asked this is arguably my favorite question to ask and i feel like in the past i don't know sharing a couple months a lot of our parent guests asked the question which way are you asking so originally it was like the dish from your mom but now people are like wait of me as a mom so i kind of want you to answer both ways what's your favorite your mom's dish and your mom What's your what's your go to? What's your mom dish? Okay, yes. So what my mother cooked growing up a stewed oxtails, which is like a Jamaican dish. Love it. Like anything, yeah, oxtails or even curry. But like that's my favorite. It just makes and fried plantain. Like you know, if I just put it together, the house just smells like spices. You know, so I love that that West Indian side. And for me, because I'm trying to think about my kids now, you know, I think they love, oh, you know what? Okay. This is, I don't know if it qualifies as, as a mom dish or just a favorite dish. Let me just think here. If it was just a favorite dish, we love seafood. So we do steamed crab legs all the time, like more than the average person probably should. Maybe it's because I grew up in like the Chesapeake Bay, you know, like DC area, but not necessarily a mom dish, but I literally have my six-year-old as like a pro at you know, snapping and cracking Alaskan king crab legs. And so again, not necessarily a mom dish per se, but that's our favorite in this household, seafood in particular. Yeah. That sounds so yummy. Oh my gosh. With the butter, with the butter garlic sauce. Oh my God, don't get me started. Mm -mm. Yeah, so good. It just inspired me. I'm like, maybe I should try to make some or get takeout or something. Yeah. Go to the grocery store. If they have some on ice, grab them steam for it. It'll take less than 15 minutes. Get some butter and garlic and, you know, you'll be in a coma just in like an hour or two. It'll be great. So good. So good. What's your least favorite food? Okay. So, you know, least favorite just in general is like beets. Since I was a child, I don't know what it is about beets, but it's just so you know, it's like a bait and switch. You know, you look so juicy and sweet, like you're going to be tasting like something else. And you, <laughs> you bite into it and it's just like, I want my money back. You know, but every time, beet juice, every time, you know, beets in a can, jellied beets, every time it's like, let me give you one more chance. And they disappoint me every single time. And liver. Like, I don't know what it was about the household growing up and like my extended family members, especially down south. But like, I never got the liver and onions thing. I don't know if that's like a black thing or like a southern thing, but it's like, ugh. Yeah, those two, I'd never do it. You can't pay me enough to even like taste it at this yeah. point. Yeah, those are legit answers. Like, yeah, sometimes, that's we like get, yeah. sometimes we get like pizza and we're like, come on, man. How could you not like pizza? We've New pizza Yorkers and- say pizza and I'm like, what? Like, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm talking just straight up, just makes your tongue want to just shrivel up exactly. and, and fall out of exactly. your mouth. Yep. yep. So who's someone you would want to interview on a podcast? Oh, that's a good one. You know what? I would love to interview Lauren Hill. Lauren Hill, you know, we know her from the Fuji. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 90s artist. And when I listened to her Miseducation of Lauren Hill album, which is still one of my like top albums, she had such like prophetic voice or something. Like what she was saying was so, bef- you know, beyond her time. And so it was almost like a little Bob Marley-esque vibe. It was just like a universal message. She got bars for days, you know, but I would love to interview her just about 
you know, what any topic that she can just flow and talk about, but also, you know, she rose to stardom so quickly and sort of took herself out of that spotlight. And I would love to kind of talk to her about like what was going on and what happened, just the, the whole psychology and mental health part about that, because she was, she was dope. She, she is, she's amazing. A lot of wisdom there. And yeah, so Lauren Hill, I'd love to have like, psh, give me just 15 minutes with her. I'm good. You know, I can die a happy woman. Yeah, she's great. Last question. What does being a modern minority mean to you? Wow. I love that. So good. You know, I think that it means, you know, showing up authentically exactly who I am, you know, not the way that anyone else thinks that I should show up. You know, I got teased growing up. You talk so white, you know, you look so this, you know, your big lips, they used to call me big lip brandy, mingling, you know, all of the things that are just so dope and awesome about, well, that's just me, whether they're big lips, small lips, and whatever my cadence of my talking is or whatever, you know, I think that in this place and space and time, especially with what you all are doing, there's so many labels that people want to put on, on us. And there are so many expectations that people have as to how we should show up. And I literally have had to purposefully shed every single other person's expectations of me, you know, including my kids. My kids are like that last little special group that I do care what they think about me. I do need them to see me a certain way. But everyone else in this earth, you know, on this earth, you know, it just doesn't matter. I owe it to myself to show up exactly who I am. And it's a a beautiful mixture of someone who has, you know, Caribbean background or Afro-Caribbean lineage. And, but I'm also American, but I also, you know, grew up in African-American consciousness, you know, but I also, you know, grew up in a single parent household and humble beginnings, but was able to be a professor at Warren, you know, all of that mix is so beautiful. And I think that the modern minority is, you know, the new that, you know, it's the new normal. It's the, it's the new black. There are no rules for us at all. You know, we can be exactly who we want to be. And I think we, we're able to take the best of our history and our culture and, you know, bring it to fruition and bring it to life today. You know, and I think that that's, that's definitely what it means to me. Dr. Brandy, that was such a perfect answer. Thank you so much for spending this time with us and for sharing all of your stories as well. This is Thank so you all. Fun. Thank you all for having me. Y'all are good. This is so good. This is just, I mean, you know, you guys are pros. Y'all are legit. Okay. You have the Dr. Brandy stamp of approval. Okay. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Please subscribe, leave a review and a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting platform. Now more than ever, people need to be hearing these stories. Please share our show with a friend or three. Want to learn more or got something to share? Visit modmypod.com or email us. Hi mom at modmypod.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at modminpod. We'd love to hear from you. Now, here's a preview of our next episode. I think my name doesn't express me and who I am. I love to collect old Chinese cookbooks. And I'm looking for names that are from Chinese Americans when I look at the binding on the side. So if I had seen Kathy Airway or some Western sounding name, I'd probably been like, okay, next. (laughs) You're literally judging a book by its cover. (laughs) I know. But here's the thing. That's just one of the things. It's a fact of life about being mixed race. And you can't change. There's no control over it. And people are just going to have to get used to it. You can't assume anyone's identity anymore. So I think that's good. That's it for now. I've been Roman Segel. And I'm still Sharon Lee Tony. Remember, we're all modern minorities out there. We'll talk to you soon. 